Welcome to Exaltation. This is Father David Masterson bringing you the beautiful, the good, and the true. Our scripture today is 2 Corinthians 3, verses 4 through 9. And we have such trust through Christ towards God, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. But if the ministry of death, written and engraved on stones, was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not steadily look at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. Historians call the period 1400 to 1600 in Europe the Age of Discovery. This was a very exciting time of exploration and high adventure. The kings and queens of Europe sent explorers into unknown waters to discover distant lands. These explorers were rugged individuals who were proud and independent. They plunged fearlessly into adventure and conquered their difficulties. We often call these early explorers self-sufficient. They overcame adversity, fierce ocean storms, sickness, and hunger. They carefully charted detailed maps of the new world. It's a good thing to be mature, responsible, and independent, to achieve goals and provide for our families. But is any man or woman truly self-sufficient? A famous French statesman once said, The greatest thing in the world is to know how to be self-sufficient. Was he right? Our scripture passage today talks about God being the Christian's sufficiency. To understand the context, let's provide a little background. After Paul wrote the letter of 1 Corinthians, the Christians in Corinth had been swayed by false teachers who stirred up the people against Paul's authority. These false teachers claimed that Paul was arrogant and boastful and that he set himself up over the other believers. He wrote the letter of 2 Corinthians to encourage the Christians and address this concern. When we come to chapter 3, Paul is explaining that the ministry given to him was from the Holy Spirit and not from men. 
His authority and adequacy to do ministry with the churches originated in God and not from himself. Look at the text in verse 4. This is the confidence we have through Christ towards God, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as coming from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who also made us adequate as ministers of the new covenant. I want us to underscore in our minds and imaginations the phrase, our sufficiency is from God. What does sufficiency mean? Webster defines sufficiency as enough, equal to the end, adequate, competent. Sufficiency refers to having what it takes, having enough to complete the task. If there are sufficient dollars in the bank account, the payment can be made. If there is sufficient fuel in the tank, the car can drive. What Paul is saying here in 2 Corinthians 3.5 is that his adequacy, his enough, his competence derives entirely from God. To put it another way, his sufficiency comes from Christ living within him. Now this notion is utterly contrary to everything we are taught in our modern culture. The world tells us that the self, not the indwelling Christ, is the center and foundation of life. We are told to think positive, to have a positive mental attitude, to bolster our sagging self-esteem, to be the very best selves we can be. One best-selling author says self-esteem is the beginning and the first seed of all success. It is the basis for our ability to love others and to try to accomplish a worthy goal without fear. We must feel love within ourselves before we can give love to another. This statement is wrong-headed on so many levels. The Bible says that the beginning of all success in life is the fear of God, not the seed of self-esteem. Proverbs 3.5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil and it will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. Do you see how this emphasis on self-esteem and on building up the self is so contrary to biblical teaching and to the entire Christian worldview? The Bible says that we are not to try to feel love within. We are to deliberately surrender our lives, our will, our affections to God so that he may pour out his love through us to others. Romans 5.5 5 says the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. The Christian life is a divine synergy. The grace of the Holy Spirit permeates the life of the Christian like yeast in the making of bread. He leads us to continual repentance, a continual exodus from ourselves into communion and union with him. The Christian life is not self-confidence or self-esteem, but Christ-confidence, letting God be sovereign Lord in and through our lives. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 depicts the Christian life as a partnership with God. 
God works in us, and we cooperate with that working to accomplish His will. What a glorious partnership! So what is God's part, and what is man's part in this partnership? Paul is saying that he is not competent, not capable of doing anything in his own strength. And notice that verse 6 says, we aren't even able to think anything except by the power of God in us. Experts say that the human mind thinks about 2,100 thoughts per hour or over 50,000 thoughts per day. That's incredible. Yet the text here in 2 Corinthians 3 says that we aren't even able to think a thought apart from the grace and power of God working in our minds. The great theologian St. Augustine said in his Theory of Divine Illumination that the mind cannot understand truth without the aid of God who is the author of all truth. This makes complete sense. Over and over, the Bible teaches that man is completely helpless to think or do any good apart from God's grace. God is the author and giver of all. Paul understood one of the great secrets of life. Nothing comes from us. All is a gratuitous gift from God above. Anything we accomplish is directly attributable to God and his power within us. God is our sufficiency. We don't take credit, we give credit where credit is due. Harriet Beecher Stowe was a devout follower of Jesus in the 19th century. She wrote the book Uncle Tom's Cabin, which depicted the awful brutality of slavery and the fact that Christian love can overcome even this horrible sin. Uncle Tom's Cabin was the best-selling novel of the 19th century. In the first year of its publication, 300,000 copies were sold in the United States and 200,000 copies in Great Britain. The book is credited with starting the abolitionist movement in the 1850s. Leo Tolstoy called it one of the great achievements of the human mind. Henry Longfellow said it was one of the greatest triumphs in literary history, to say nothing of the higher triumph of its moral effect. Harriet Beecher Stowe refused to take any credit for the writing. She said, Am I the author of Uncle Tom's Cabin? No, indeed. I could not control the story. It wrote itself. The Lord wrote it, and I was but the humble instrument in his hand. It all came to me in visions one after another, and I put them down in words. To him alone be the praise and glory. How do we live out the truth that God is our sufficiency? One way is to practice living each present moment with God. It is not our place to dwell on the past or the future, but to obey the will of God moment by moment in the present. We must hold on to nothing of ourselves or for ourselves, but handle all possessions lightly. It is good to stay slightly detached from material things so that we may pay attention to the present moment. In reality, we own nothing and we control nothing. We are but stewards of what God entrusts to us out of His kindness. 
All is given as a gift for us to enjoy. One day when serving as a Navy chaplain, I was providing the prayer for the graduation ceremony of a class of Coast Guardsmen. Seated behind me was Master Chief Kramer. Partway through the ceremony, Master Chief touched me on the shoulder and smiling pointed outside the window. There, only yards away, was a beautiful newborn fawn with all its white spots struggling to stand and feeding on the shrubbery. That was the goodness of God in that present moment. He gave us that fleeting window into his love for us in the form of a newborn fawn he had created. Every experience, every delight, every noticing of beauty and splendor is a gift from the Father to us in the present moment. We receive and we rejoice hour by hour, day after day. Another way we practice our sufficiency in God is to rejoice in His love and surrender ourselves to that love each new day. What does it mean to rejoice and surrender to God's love? It means to see yourself as beloved by God and gently remind yourself of His love throughout the day. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus, vast, unmeasured, boundless, free, flowing like a mighty ocean in its fullness over me. Bernard of Clairvaux says, With the foot of grace firmly planted on the ladder of humility, I will safely climb upward clinging to the truth until I reach love's wide plain. are listening to Exaltation. I'm Father David Masterson bringing you the beautiful, the good, and the true, heralding the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ so that we may experience life in Him. Let's continue our lesson. Yet another reminder of God's sufficiency is to train ourselves to live each moment with gratitude. 
In 1 Thessalonians 5.16, there is a trinity of exhortations that are not easy to obey. Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks. In other words, have an attitude of joy underneath the changing circumstances of life. Turn your heart constantly to God in prayer and relate everything to Him. We must train ourselves to have a spirit of thanksgiving for whatever the day brings. When we practice these things, we are obeying the command to be grateful. What about when bad things happen? What about when pandemics and viruses and rioting and trouble take place? When bad things happen, we remember that while God is not the author of bad things, God can and does turn bad things to good account when by His grace we respond with faith and trust in Him. Jean-Pierre Cossade was a French priest and devotional writer who lived 1675 to 1751. He wrote, God is wise enough, good enough, powerful enough, and merciful enough to turn the most unpromising events to the advantage of those who know how to adore and humbly accept His glorious freedom. Sometimes everything goes wrong, says Kassad, but I still thank him and offer the troubles to him, and that done, God repairs everything. We also show our dependence upon God and our realization that our sufficiency is from him by intentionally nourishing our souls in his life. How do we nourish our souls in the life of Jesus? by feeding on his words in Holy Scripture and by receiving him in the Holy Communion. When we feed on his teaching and receive his presence with us in communion, we are strengthened with spiritual food, the food of his life in us. As our bodies need food to maintain physical health, so our souls need nourishment to maintain spiritual health. Jeremiah 15:16 says, Thy words were found, and I did eat them, and thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. Jesus said in John 6:53, Truly, truly, I say unto you, except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. He that eats my flesh and drinks my blood dwells in me and I in him. How can a sinning mortal man eat the flesh of the Lord Jesus Christ and drink his blood? How does the Bible become real spiritual food? How does communion strengthen and nourish us? It is a mystery, but a glorious, stupendous mystery at the heart of our faith. All that is truly wonderful in this life and the life to come is shrouded in mystery. Both Galileo and Aristotle taught that there is a great difference between the infinite and the finite. Both stressed that there are whole areas of knowledge which are too great for our finite minds to grasp. How does a caterpillar transform into a gorgeous butterfly? 
How can a tiny sperm and egg produce a living, newborn baby? How can the homing pigeon, released thousands of miles in an unfamiliar place, unerringly find its way home, flying through darkness and storms at speeds averaging 50 miles per hour? How do dolphins communicate intimately with one another, and why are they one of the most playful and friendly animals in the world? Science purports to understand and explain all these things, but when all is said and done, creation is a marvelous and multi-splendored mystery. It is a glorious living gift from our loving God. Paul ends this passage of Scripture with a comparison. He says in verse 7, But if the ministry of death written and engraved in stones was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not steadily behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away, how shall not the ministry of the Spirit be rather glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation be glory, how much more does the ministry of righteousness exceed in glory? This is a priceless comparison of the two covenants. The old covenant was based on a written document. The new covenant is based on the power of the Holy Spirit living inside the believer, fulfilling the commandments of God. The Old Covenant produced condemnation and death because it prescribed what a man should do but failed to give him the power to do it. The New Covenant produces a relationship of love between God the Father and His children. It is in that love relationship that the Father gives the Holy Spirit to those who obey Him so that we can love Him in return. The new covenant changes a man's life, not by imposing external laws, but by changing his heart from within and giving him the power to obey God's commands. Now Paul says that the old covenant with all its defects was a glorious covenant. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai, his face shone with such splendor that no one could look at him. When Jesus came into the world bringing the new covenant of his blood, his glory shone with a dazzling brightness that will never fade away. Jesus brought pardon, not condemnation. He brought abundant life, not death. Therefore, what does verse 6 mean when it says that God made us sufficient? It means that the gift of the Holy Spirit living on the inside of the believer is enough. We need nothing else. God has made us able and fitting to do His will, to live as His children, because of the Holy Spirit within us. And what does the Holy Spirit mean? It means the power to live a pure and holy life and the power to proclaim the good news of reconciliation to all men. Have we come to the place where we joyfully say, Not my will, but thine be done? Are we learning how to grasp with Paul the truth, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as coming from ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God.
How do we live out the truth that God is our sufficiency? Recognize your inability to think or do anything apart from the power of God within you. Practice living in the present moment with God. Rejoice and surrender to His love. Train yourself to be grateful. Intentionally nourish your soul in God's life and presence within you. Remember Webster's definition of sufficiency is enough, equal to the end, adequate, competent. Sufficiency refers to having what it takes, having enough to complete the task. What Paul is saying in 2 Corinthians 3.5 is that his adequacy, his enough, his competence derives entirely from God. His sufficiency comes from Christ living within him by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, we praise you that you are our sufficiency. You are our enough. Teach us how to place ourselves before your presence each day so that you may live your life through us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. For of him, and through him, and to him are all things. To him be the glory, both now and forevermore. Amen. been listening to the program Exaltation. I'm Father David Masterson with Godet Ministries. You may reach us on the web at godetministries.org. That's G A U D E T E ministries.org. This gospel outreach is entirely listener supported. Please help us proclaim the gospel on the radio to a needy world. You may donate online at our website. Your gift, large or small, is gratefully appreciated.
Until next time, may God richly bless you with this word of encouragement from the prophet Isaiah. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary, and to him who lacks might he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not faint.